Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories. My name is Tim McMillan. Our special guest in this particular episode, uh, well, I have to say uh, congratulations. Uh, we speak to him hot on the heels uh, of another uh, championship, so it's with great pleasure I uh, say hello and welcome to Damien Martin. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It, uh, it was as a roller coaster of a season, but it's nice to sit here about five weeks after the championship and reflect on what had plenty of ups and downs. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, at one point, people were saying, could this be the year you don't even make the playoffs? Because you'd had, you know, 30 plus years in a row of. Yeah. Play, which is an extraordinary achievement in itself and a world record in itself, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, suddenly talk of maybe this is the year you don't make it. And then you've gone on and. Won another championship, so incredible. It was crazy. I think we started the season 12-2, and two, so 12 wins, two losses. We're sitting top of the table. Things were going really well. But every season has its ups and downs. But this yeah. one in particular, you know, I think we lost seven of eight games, something like that. And they're calling for one of our Australians to get fired so they can make room for a third American import, yep. which you're allowed to have in the NBL. But, um, you know, one of the things I do the first or second week that we get together as a team, we sit around a table and we come up with a bunch of values. But one of the messages I send to them is when it comes to social media, if you're going to read stuff on a forum or a chat room, normally the people typing it aren't expecting a player to actually read it. And they may have written it in the heat of the battle. You know, some people have watched yeah. it. You miss a shot. They make a comment. They move on in their life. You read it. And it can really get to some players. So yeah. you're never as good as people will say you are after a win. And you're never as bad as they say you are after a loss. But Solid I encourage advice. them to stay away from it. But the yeah. reality is this season more than others seems to have affected players more so, or at least the whispers crept in. And so we had to address it at one stage and just say, look, these are the 12 players we're going forward with. We have the backing of the coaches. We're all in. Let's see what happens and back ourselves. Because at the start of the season, we were winning 12-2, and but that quickly got forgotten when we started going through a bit of a patch of some close losses, some bad injuries, and playing a style that wasn't uh, beneficial to our strengths. Yeah. So so you reckon at one point it was perhaps a a social media-led crisis of confidence? Uh, there was definitely some confidence. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, I'm proud to say is that now that we've won five, five championships that I've been a part of, yeah. I can honestly say only once out of those five, did we have the best team on paper. There's those other things that are above your shoulders, the intangibles yep. and confidence is one of them. And I saw guys starting to doubt themselves, you know, not shooting the ball when they were open, not making the extra pass because they didn't want to risk a turnover. So little things started creeping into our game. They weren't backing themselves. We're going away from the game plan. But the best thing about that is, is if you're playing your best basketball and losing, then there's cause for concern. If mm. you're playing a stole of basketball that isn't playing to your strengths, then you can fix it. And for me, it was above the shoulders more so than anything. Mm. And, and then the social media stuff did creep into it for some mm. of the players. And yep. we addressed that. We're honest with it up front. And then said, no, come on, yeah. clean the slate. Let's go again. 
much better things to do with your day than worry about what people are writing on social media. Oh, I have two daughters. There's no <laughs> way I have time for that. So they could have been bagging me out the whole season. I was oblivious to it. No, if I get to pull my phone out at any stage, my two-year-old quickly jumps on and asks for Emma the Wiggle. So unless <laughs> Emma the Yellow Wiggle was bagging me out saying I should retire, I was oblivious to it. <laughs> Mate, keep it that way as long as you can. So given the, the position that you came from then mid-season, the one just gone, uh, this fifth title that you've been a part of, how does that stack up against the other four? Yeah, it's really special. The The first one's probably the most fun. You know, it was unexpected. We were a young group. It was my first year in Perth. So as far as sheer enjoyment went, that's still my favourite. Yep. But the last two, so the fourth one I was fortunate enough to be a part of, we were actually sitting last on the ladder on mm. Christmas morning. And then fast forward 10 weeks later, we've brought in Bryce Cotton. We go on a bit of a winning streak, some injured guys return, and we won the championship. So as far as adversity goes, that one is probably my favorite. But then this one where we really did feel the pressure, yep. it's right up there. And it's yep. a combination of you know, the jubilation of winning a championship, but also a bit sense of relief and the pressure off your shoulders. Yep. And that's what we felt with this uh, previous championship. Such a, a loved uh, sporting team here in Perth and I think you know the whole city is is so proud of uh, of the success that the team has had over a long period of time you know was it, is it 33 yeah we just consecutively making the yeah. <laughs> the playoffs which is extraordinary um but with that comes pressure as well I imagine yeah you certainly know of the streak and when we get together and sit down our, and write down our goals for the upcoming season obviously if we achieve those goals the streak will continue but during the seasons where we've fallen out of the top four, which are play, participate in the playoffs, you do hear about yeah, the streak. The streak's like coming to you. an end. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But uh, no, you're aware of it. Our owner, Jack Bendat, has always had the highest of uh, expectations from his players. And so the first thing he'll say to you at the pre-season breakfast launch is we've got to be number one. We've got to win it all. He doesn't believe in second place. No. Uh, and at the end of the year, hopefully he's, you know, they're 94 years of age, still holding up one finger saying we did it. He's, he's the ultimate optimist, isn't he, Jack? You speak to him before any game, he'll say, I'll tell you Wildcats by 35. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> he's great. You know, obviously he's a little bit older now. He, he comes into the locker room in his wheelchair right before the game, listens to Trevor Gleeson's pregame speech, all the players go and shake his hand. And he'll tell us we better win. <laughs> so uh, it's it's amazing. It doesn't matter how old he gets. He's still got that drive and that passion. And that's yep. probably why he's had success away yep. from the Wildcats. He bought the Wildcats, not as a basketball supporter, but as a present to the state of WA because of how much he'd gained financially out of the state. So what started as a present back to the people of Western Australia has now turned into his mm. biggest passion. And yet we um, we had a, one of these chats with Nick Marvin mm-hmm. a little while ago. And he, he spoke about how close... Uh, things got to, to shutting down. He, he, he spoke about a time he took a phone call from Jack, who I think was in Europe on a boat at the time, uh, and things were at crisis point. And Jack basically said, Nick, shut it down. Yeah. And Nick a- said, no, I think we can turn it around. And he actually spoke, he mentioned you as being sort of part of uh, a deliberate move to usher in a new culture and hopefully a new era and, and success ultimately as well. Um, so I suppose it's a great tribute to you that you were part of that. But um, were you aware at the time that you were coming in at a point where the club was so close to finishing up? Well, the league as a whole was close. So yeah. it wasn't just Perth. And one of the things Jack gets credit for is what he's done here in Perth for the Wildcats. But one thing that's kind of gone unnoticed or unspoken about is what he's done for the league as a whole. So there's times throughout the last 10 or 12 seasons where he wasn't just supporting the Wildcats. He was supporting the league, whether it was his own money, his support, whatever it may have been. But the reason I was brought to Perth was I was playing for a team which no longer exists now called the Sydney Spirit. So we were called the West Sydney Razorbacks. The Sydney Kings folded. Yep. We wanted to try and take over the whole of Sydney, so we changed our name to Sydney Spirit. 
didn't work. We had about 300 people attending games. And about a week before Christmas in 2000, the 2008-09 season, we received an email from our owner saying, I'm sick of losing money. I'm handing the license back to the league. You're not getting paid anymore. Yeah. So we had a you know, crisis meeting the next day. And the two American imports said, we're on a plane tomorrow. We're out of here if we're not getting paid. And then the Australians, we decided to stay and would share the gate takings. And I mean it when I say there's 300 to 500 people attending like these the, games. the plot from Semi Pro. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> we were going to have someone wrestling a bear at halftime <laughs> to raise money. Uh, and so you could, you know, hey, mum and dad in the stands, thanks for your $20. We're going to divide that by 15 people and we'll see how we go. So playing professional sport, we actually racked up credit card bills. You know, we had mortgage, rent, children, yeah. credit cards, whatever it may have been. And so I actually went backwards as a professional athlete, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me because Sydney Spirit folded. Rob mm. Beveridge was the coach at the time because he and I were both out of a job. The Wildcats offered Bevo a job and he brought myself um, yep. out west with a few other players. And, and that's where I really realized the difference between being a professional club. Professional means you simply get pl- paid to do something mm. and being an elite club. And that's where all the cliche one percenters come into place, whether it's yep each individual player doing them all or the club as a whole. And I've learned a lot from moving to Perth and mm. essentially not getting paid and playing in Sydney and folding was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, in a weird sort of way. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Now, you've you've hung on to, to Trevor Gleeson, but you've lost uh, your assistant. Mm. Uh, Nielsen's gone. How much of a loss is, is he to the club? Massive. Uh, so Matty and I were teammates with the Australian team and he was the captain at the time. And so not only does he have great leadership, but he's got the resume where players respect it as well. Yep. And I think if you're going to be a lead assistant coach, you've got to be that go-between go guy between the players and the head coach, which Nelly was fantastic at. But he also mm. demanded the respect of you know Trevor, our head coach, and the assistants below Nelly because he's achieved it all on the court. You know, League MVP, Olympian three times, I think. But he showed that he genuinely wanted to be a really good coach. So his work ethic was there to boot. He didn't just rely on what he did as a player. He wanted to establish himself as a really good coach, mm. which I've no doubt he'll do. And that's why the San Antonio Spurs are yeah. opening up a door, hopefully, for him. So, what an opportunity. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. And it's hard to say no to that. So Nelly goes there, you know, and will be sorely missed. But he was very, very popular amongst the playing group. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it just adds a little bit more pressure to next season. It, it does. And, and one thing I'll share about <laughs> Nelly. As, uh, as much as I love him, he's also there for one of the great boomer stories that gets passed down from team to team. So he was at the Beijing Olympics in the starting five, and they were playing the U.S. Dream Team. So the yep. best team in the world had gone through undefeated quarterfinals. So win and you advance to the semifinals, lose and you go home. And they thought every other team gives the Americans way too much respect. They've uh, lost the mental battle before the ball's ever been tipped off. What can we do to show these Americans we're not intimidated? And so the starting five, which I believe was led by Matty Nielsen, got together and they thought we'd do something disrespectful at the jump ball instead of going out there and saying, I'm guarding Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, you know, LeBron James, so on and so forth. Let's lean back, make it obvious and say, I'm guarding number six, number eight, as if we don't know who they are. Yeah, yeah. And the, the basketball say, <laughs> like, yeah, this is brilliant. And so sure enough, they went out right before the jump ball and... I think it was Mark Worthington, a, a Bunbury boy. Yeah. He was guarding Kobe Bryant, who at the time was the best player in the world. Yeah. But instead of saying, I'm guarding Bryant, he leant back, you know, said, I've got number eight. Yeah. But then Kobe put his hands on his knees, looked over and started laughing and said, nice shoes, because Wertho was wearing Kobe Bryant shoes. <laughs> so uh, it's it's hard to be disrespectful yeah. when you spent $200 on a pair of guys' shoes you're about to guard. But, oh, that's yeah, brilliant. I, I think that all started with Nelly, and uh, we haven't let him live it down. Oh, I can imagine. Good story. Good story to uh, to finish this first uh, segment. Oh, we need to take a break. Damien Martin, uh, five-time uh, championship winner uh, with the Perth Wildcats. Six times uh, he was the defensive uh, 
MVP as well, which I think is also a record. We'll be back with uh, more with David Martin right after a break. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Damien Martin. Uh, Damien, let's go back to uh, the early years. Uh, you're... You know, well, we've adopted you as a West Australian, but strictly speaking, you know, you're a, you're a blow-in from the Eastern States, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have you. Um, tell us about uh, about growing up and where you first stepped out on a basketball court and fell in love with the game. Yeah, I, I grew up in a tiny country town in New South Wales called Gloucester, so it's a dairy farming community. More recently, a coal mine's been brought in, but growing up there in the 80s and 90s is population of 2,500 people and it's still 2,500 right. people. So <laughs> not much has changed, but it's one of those country towns where when you're growing up, you think, how boring is this? But in hindsight, I couldn't have thought of a better place to have yeah. been brought up because you know it's got all the sporting facilities. It's safe. It's beautiful. It's the foot of the hills, mm. rivers, you name it. But because there's not a whole lot to do, Outside of sport, you know, mm. you just throw yourself into it. So whether it was cricket, rugby league, soccer, basketball, you did it. There's no AFL, and to this day, there's still no footy. Mm. It's all two posts opposed to four. And so basketball was one of many sports I loved. Uh, whether I could throw something, kick something, tackle someone, you mm. know, I loved it. But in the end, it came down to making a decision as a 15-year-old uh, because there wasn't enough numbers in Gloucester to continue playing basketball representatively. And so dad, mum and dad had five kids. They had five kids in six yeah. years. Goes well, to show you there's well, not much to do in Gloucester. <laughs> there's, 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 there's your starting lineup. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Um, and all five of us played sport and all five of us enjoyed basketball. But by then, some of my siblings, you know, they'd finished playing it competitively and just yeah. played it in the local league. I was the one that really loved playing for Gloucester or playing for New South Wales. And so when the numbers folded in Gloucester, dad said, he was happy to knock off work. He owns his own law firm. So knock off work around 5.36 p.m., pick me up from home, drive me an hour and a half to Newcastle for training mm. twice a week during the weekdays and then again on weekends. Now, as a 15-year-old kid, you don't realize how much of a sacrifice that, that is. is. Yeah, that's huge. And it also meant that mum was essentially a stay-at-home single mother to four kids, you know, three, four, five days a week. Mm. But at the time, it was me saying, yep, that sounds great. We fold back the seats in the old Toyota Tarago. I'd sleep <laughs> in the back while dad drove up front. An hour and a half each way, he'd watch training, and that was our lives for a year. Yeah. And then after the 12 months, it was actually me that turned to dad, mum and dad, and said, no, I'm sick of missing you know, out on the things my school yeah. mates were getting up to on a weekend. I want to quit basketball and play rugby league, which all of my school friends were doing. And no pressure, no guilt from them whatsoever. And they said, no worries, and they supported the decision. So I did. I quit basketball. By then, I was 16, was playing rugby league and genuinely enjoying it, loved the mateship of it in particular. And it wasn't until I got a call out of the blue from a guy who goes to, goes on to play a huge part in my career, Rob Beveridge. Yeah. And he said, oh, my name's Rob Beveridge. I'm the coach of the New South Wales Institute of Sport basketball team. I was wondering if your dad would be willing to drive you down to Raymond Terrace, about an hour away. Raymond Terrace, McDonald's. I want to, you know, throw something your way. We don't have McDonald's in Gloucester. I was like, yep, that's a no-brainer. Let's do this. So <laughs> I called, called Dad at the office and said, Dad, is there any chance you can knock off early today, drive me to McDonald's in Raymond Terrace? And he said, sure, why not? And anyone that knows Bevo, he literally looks like Ronald McDonald. So there we were <laughs> in Macca's over a Happy Meal. And as, as a 16-year-old kid growing up in the bush, you don't play sport thinking it's something you're going to pursue professionally. Yeah. You do it because you love it. 
and it was the first time someone had laid out this pathway they thought I could achieve. Provided I quit rugby league that day, Bevo made me call the coach and say I won't be playing again. Is that right? And then he gave me a New South Wales Institute of Sport scholarship yep. on the spot. And he said, if I can do this, this, and this, he believes I'd be able to achieve, you know, I'd always dreamt of being an Olympian ever since watching the Barcelona Olympics with my eldest brother. And he said, I believe you can play for Australia. I believe you can go to college. I believe you can play professionally. And if things go your way, let's not rule out the Olympics. And, you know, as I mentioned, normally on the drives, I'd sit in the back and the folder down to Rago and nap the whole time. This was the first time I sat up front with dad. And we both just went back and forth the whole time thinking, imagine yeah. if even half of what Bevo said is a possibility. Yeah. And yeah, never looked back since. So I quit mm. rugby league that day, went back to basketball. 12 months after that, because of Bevo, he got me a, a scholarship to the Australian Institute of Sport mm. and in Canberra. And so I packed up my bags, moved down to Canberra as a 17-year-old, finished off high school there. And yeah, that's where things really took off mm. and the world of basketball opened up. But it's courtesy of a random folk oil out of the blue from a, a redhead that I'd never yeah. met before. And uh, that's, a, that's a happy meal indeed, isn't it? <laughs> exactly right. Now yeah. he's like a second dad. So it's funny how it all worked out. Yeah. And, and and rugby league, you obviously poured your energies into that for a little while. Yeah. Were you any good at that? No. Like, look, like, would, you, would you have had a, any anything like the sort of career you've had in basketball in rugby league? I was lucky enough that right before I met with Bevo, I'd been asked to try for a junior Newcastle Knights team, but I wasn't the best team player on our team. My best friend Mick Shields was, and he got to go on to play uh, junior Knights ball and development yeah. league. So the amount of injuries I've had from a pretty much non-contact sport in basketball, they would have swallowed me up in uh, in rugby league. I would have been the walking wounded. So yeah. I loved the game, but I don't hold my breath saying I could have, should have, would have in rugby yeah. league. And I yeah. think I made the right decision. So you've moved to Canberra then, going from a tiny little town in northern New South <laughs> Wales to Canberra as a 17-year-old mm. to finish off your school. How did that work out? You know, Away from parents, were you then? And yeah. Who, who was who was essentially your, your guardian down there? Yeah, so they have what's called house parents. So they have 12 basketballers. So you you billet it out. It's, yeah, so it's all on site. And yep. so, you know, there's at that time there was, you know, 12 basketballers in one apartment block with a house parent. So mm. in one of the rooms there was a 35-year-old who I think was going through university, <laughs> delayed it and just wanted a bit of free accommodation. But he was there to be a sounding board if you had any questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, water polo's there, swimming's there, track and field. But it was an incredible environment because, you know, you, you were looking around every day at some of the fittest athletes that you know were preparing for an Olympics or a Commonwealth Games. The basketballers were a little bit younger. And so we were kind of the next generation preparing for Olympic Games eight to 12 years down the track. Yeah. So day one, we get there and there's 12 scholarship holders. 11 of the 12 had either represented their state or their country by then. So I was lucky enough to have played for New South Wales by then. I think a few Australian teams. Everyone else had done the same thing except one guy, Andrew Bogut. Bogut had been cut from every Victorian state team, uh, but out of the blue, he got offered this scholarship. And I remember Aaron Bruce. Was he a Victorian. giant then? Yeah, six foot 11, yeah. could move, good hand-eye coordination. Mm. I remember Aaron Bruce, another Victorian who'd made all the state teams and Australian teams to that point, turned to Bogut on day one and said, were you surprised to get the scholarship? And he was like, no, no. And we're like, how arrogant is this guy? Who does he think yeah. he is? <laughs> and then fast forward five days later, we're sitting around as a team going through our goal setting. Where do you see yourself in five years? And, you know, some of us are saying university, someone to play in Europe, someone to be in the NBL. Got to Bogut, again, never even made a Victorian state team. And he said, in five years, I'll be in the NBA. And we're tall poppy syndrome in Australia. We're just cutting this guy down. But credit to him, he only said that because he was asked. Yeah. And even though the training schedule we had at the AOS was 
crazy, you know, shooting in the morning, go to school, get picked up for lunch, come back, have lunch, an individual between class breaks, go back to school, picked up again, team training in the afternoon, then study hall, like your days were full. Yeah. He still found time around that to get extra work in. And he went from being our worst player in year one to our best 12 months later. Mm. Another few months after that, he gets named in the Australian under-20s team. We win gold medal at the World Champs in Greece. And he got offered a multi-million dollar contract to stay and play in Greece. Mm. Now, his family escaped the war in, in Croatia, got out of there, came from very little money. And as an 18-year-old, he's been 19 by then, offered guaranteed millions of dollars, but he said no to it. Because going back to that meeting about where you'll be in five years, the best way to achieve his NBA goal was to go to the University of Utah, where he wouldn't get paid a cent, and uh, and then hopefully declare for the draft. And sure enough, he said no to Greece, went to the University of Utah. Two years later, he's the number one pick. And it's easy to say it now. He's gone on to make over you know $100 million in yeah. salary. But that's an incredible feat. That's mental yeah. toughness at its best and backing yourself. And Absolutely. Forever respect Bogut for the decisions he's made and the work, yeah. work ethic to boot. Mm. Um, and of course, you were a part of that uh, that all conquering uh, Australian uh, junior side as well under Rob Beveridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bevo again. His yeah, name pops up. He keeps popping up, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, how does that sit in terms of your list of personal achievements? At the time, it was. Well, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Yeah, it didn't. Age, so it was the first junior team, under 20s team, to win a gold medal yeah. uh, at a major event. So there was a lot of history riding on the line, but we were just all these young guys who didn't know what we could achieve. Showed up to a tournament, lost our first game to Lithuania, and then end up having to beat the US, who were clear-cut favourites. And mm. we had to beat them by a margin of 15, I think, just to advance on for and against, and came out the doors. And Bogut was amazing. A few other guys mm. stepped up. And, yeah, it was uh, just one of those experiences I'll never forget. But that kind of set uh, the scene for all these guys. I think of the 12 players that represent Australia, 11 went on to play professionally, um, you know, within the next few, three or four or five years, depending if they went to college yeah. beforehand or not. And at the time, I don't think any of us thought that was achievable. And it's just funny how a junior tournament these days, yeah. you look at someone like Dante Exum, who was the, one of the best players at an under-18s or under-19s competition. Yep. He, he basically sat out the next year knowing full world he was going to get drafted in the NBA. Yeah. That's not how it worked back then. You just go there, <laughs> do your best, and, and hopefully get offered a contract or a scholarship somewhere. Yeah. It was obviously a good vintage. Yeah, well, with Brad Newley, you know, he's played at two Olympics, Bogut three or four. Um, you know, Stevie Markovic represented Australia at a, at a world championships. Aaron Bruce has as well. So from that gr- that group, I think we've had five, six, seven guys play for Australia at a world championships yeah. or an Olympic game. So mm. it was pretty special. But at the time, we were oblivious to it. I want to ask you about uh, your time in the US uh, as well, but we need to take <laughs> a break. This is Damien Martin on WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories uh, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. In this episode, we're hearing the inspiring story uh, of Wildcats champion Damien Martin. Uh, Let's go still pre-Wildcats days. Mm -hmm. Um hot on the heels of your uh, international win with the Australian. Was it under-19 or under-20? Yeah, under-19. Under-19. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you decided to uh, to move to the States as well. Yeah. How did you find that? Uh, so in Canberra uh, at the AIS, there was 12 of us on scholarship and I think 11 or 10 of us wanted to go to college. Yep. And so, you know, people are getting phone calls from coaches from across the States, different universities. One day I got home and there's a DVD waiting for me. 
and this is how they recruit them, recruited players, foreign players oh, back yeah, then. Technology at that yeah, point exactly in time. right. Yeah. These days they get flown over. A bunch of Aussies will go visit, say, three or four schools, universities. They'll try and recruit you, put on a big show, and then you make your decision. Back then yep. it was a DVD. And so I remember watching this DVD of a university I'd never heard of called Loyola Marymount, but a stunning campus in Southern California. I knew I was going to be away for all of the Australian summers and get caught up with a bunch of winters, so I wanted somewhere warm. Ticked all the boxes, beautiful campus, Division One scholarship uh, in a nice location. And so I remember walking in the common room where about five or six of the other guys were just sitting there. And I said, guys, I've made my decision. I'm off to Loyola Marymount. And I was like, uh, and someone said, oh, yeah, we got that DVD as well. <laughs> they offered scholarships to all 12 <laughs> players at the AIS. So that shut me down pretty quickly. But uh, Matty Knight was on scholarship with me as well, yep. a Tasmanian boy. And uh, he decided to go there as well. So, it's so how funny. many of the, of, of the group then that got the DVDs ended up going there? Only two of us, Matty and I. So, yeah. You know, Boga went to the University of Utah, Aaron Bruce, uh, Baylor University. Some guys went to St. Mary's. Mm. So it was spread out all over the country. But Maddie and I headed to Los Angeles and, we're, you know, two years in Canberra together, four years in Los Angeles together, two years in Sydney and then about nine years in Perth. So yeah. we were inseparable there for a while, but it yeah. started in Canberra and then both of us jumped on a plane and headed to LA. And, and how was it? It's Everything like, that you thought it would be? Yeah, it's like a bad comedy movie. So yeah. even things like the red drinking cups at parties, the fraternities, the sororities, um, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, the the basketball itself was at a different level I wasn't used to. Yeah. A lot of Americans, you know, they only follow collegiate sport. So here you have, you know, the Dockers, the Eagles, you know, the pro teams. Out there, college sport is just as big as yeah. pro sport. And the stadiums. Oh, <laughs> amazing. World-class facilities. Yeah. And, you know, the the atmosphere of college sport outdoes anywhere professionally because normally half the basketball stadiums or the arenas are for uh, students only. So yep. they have a student section and they'll pre-party going into it. And then they won't sit down for the whole game. They're singing songs. They've got posters. They've done their research on the opposition players. It's just an incredible environment. Yeah. So, yeah, some of the most incredible atmospheres I've played in front of were in America. Yeah. Um, you know, even though I might have only held six, seven, eight thousand people, but just phenomenal to play in front of so your basketball gets better you get a degree in the meantime it's all paid Mm. for you develop as a human so i encourage every 17 18 19 year old give it a try i know university is not for everyone but you can always say no to that and come back to pro sport you can't go the other way you have Mm. to be an amateur to Mm. get over there so for me it was the best four years most fun four years i should say of my life what did Um, you what did you study uh essentially it was a teaching uh, scholarship, teaching degree, yeah. but I never did my prac out there. So if I want to be a teacher out here, I've still got to do my prac work. And Maddie did the same. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine six foot nine, 125 kilos walking into your room in a primary <laughs> school and saying, I'm oh, Mr. Might, get out, Mr. Knight, get out your math books. Like uh, he was an intimidating yes. presence <laughs> doing yeah. what he did do his prac. So yeah. yeah, we'll see how we go. So four years there, you've mm-hmm. got your, your degree. Um, you're playing a bit of basketball, traveling around quite a bit as well. Is it sort of broken up into conferences? like Yeah, like so the, the, the NBA's? first 13 or 14 games of the year are non-conference, so that can take you anywhere around the country. And right. you do. It's a bit, you know, went to Hawaii, mm. went up to Alaska, over to New York, and it's amazing. And when we were in Alaska, it was actually Thanksgiving weekend. Obviously, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Australia, but when you're over there, you learn all about it. And Maddie, Tasmanian boy, he gets asked, you know, what's your favorite thing about Thanksgiving? And someone had set him up beforehand saying, oh, you know, just say pumpkin pie. And he goes, okay, I love pumpkin pie. So on the local news in Alaska, it's got Matty Knight saying his favorite thing about 
Thanksgiving is pumpkin pie. After our game in Alaska, this little kid brings in some pumpkin pie for Matty Knight. I've seen it on the news before. He hates pumpkin. And so here's this little kid with a slice of pumpkin pie. And it's like acting 101, drama 101. Matty's doing that, mmm, and rubbing his Yummy. tummy. As soon as the kid was gone, he spat it out. But uh, no, it's a good way to learn about different cultures and, and see a different country. So the first is non-conference. Second, we're in the West Coast Conference where... For any Australians that follow college sport, Gonzaga are by far the biggest university. You know, they had another good season this year. And the closest we got to going to the NCAA tournament, which is huge, you know, it's yeah. a billion-dollar thing, was we had to win our conference. And we're playing Gonzaga in Gonzaga. So the crowd's amazing. We're underdogs by a long way. And we're actually down by two points with about six seconds to go. Our best player gets triple-teamed. And he managed to step through and pass it to our six foot eleven center under the ring. Now, his name is Chris Eyre, A-Y-E-R, and he's dead set missed the whole ring. He's missed this layup. It's missed everything. And there was the number one play on SportsCenter that day. So here we are in a hotel in Spokane, Washington, number one play of the day just on repeat on ESPN is Chris missing this layup. And at about 2 a.m. in the morning, you just hear this loud thud. Most people would change the channel. Chris has decided to pull the TV out of the wall socket and throw it out the window of the hotel we're in. And, uh, <laughs> and then to make things even worse, we get back to our, our campus the next day and the front and back page of the school oh. newspaper uh, airbore with his spelling oh. and this shot missing. So uh, it was tough times, but uh, that's the closest we got to going uh, to the NCAA tournament. But yeah, poor Chris. I don't think wow. he's ever lived it down. Thank God for him and for everyone around him that it was sort of pre the explosion of social media. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> so, he, yeah, he would, he would hate that I still share this story. But it's one of those ones that when I think of college and the success Your we TV had or might came close to. Out the window soon. Yeah, poor. Sorry, Chris. Next yeah. time I'm sure you'll make it. So, was it a, a tough call to come back then, or was it, or was it simply a case that this, this is how it works that you, you finish your degree and, and, and that's it? Because if you're not studying there, you. you yeah, can't take up a college place, I imagine. I um, I could have gone back for a fifth year, so I actually yep. missed a year of playing due to a, a torn Achilles tendon. I ruptured yep. back in Australia in the off season, so technically I could have gone on for another year. But then Rob Beveridge gave me a call out of the blue, and he said, "I know you've graduated. I know technically you can go back for a fifth year if you'd like." And he offered Matty Knight and I a contract to go and play for West Sydney. Bevo had gone from being the New South Wales Institute of Sport uh, coach to taking his first job as a pro coach with West Sydney Razorbacks. So. You know, within an hour of each other, Maddie and I had actually signed our first ever professional contracts and decided we'd graduate mm. from LMU and head back to Sydney and, yeah, play for the Razorbacks. Yeah, which you did. And, and how was that? I mean, obviously things didn't pan out with, uh, with Sydney and you've come here, so, you know, good result in the end. But uh, going from that intense atmosphere <laughs> in the US with crazy passionate crowds and stuff mm. to a struggling league uh, back in Australia, was it, was it a bit of a come down at the time? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, you kind of assume what you see are the expectations and standards. And so when we got home, you know, we'd go to the gym at 7.30 in the morning, we'd lift hard, we'd jump on court for two hours, we'd train hard and hands in, and then we'd go our own separate ways. So a few of us lived in the eastern suburbs, few lived out near Auburn where we trained, and then you just hang out with your teammates. And I thought, what a great lifestyle. <laughs> this is pretty mm. easy. On the weekends, we tried our hardest. There was really no pressure to win. Uh, we were a young team. And so, you know, we didn't do that well, to be honest. But then we'd go out as if we had sell- had one and have a big night out. And that's what I thought being a professional athlete meant. Mm. And then it wasn't until I moved to Sydney that I realized, no, that's, not, that's far from being mm. uh, what's expected at a different style of club. And so, yeah, as I mentioned, being professional means you just get paid to do it. Being elite mm. means you do everything else. And, and Sean Redditch in particular, 
uh, I learned from him. So it's all those cliches. You know, he was the first to training, last to leave, worked extra on his game before and after training, did ice baths every single day, extra stretching. His diet was impeccable, visualization, sports psychology. And he didn't just do it after a loss. He didn't do it when media were there that day. He didn't do it just before the finals. He did it every single day. And that's why he went on to represent Australian Olympics. He'll have his jersey retired here in Perth one day. For a guy that, you know, wasn't the most athletic guy, wasn't blessed with incredible talent, but he got the most out of his body and became a very, very, very good player. But did every single thing you want to instill in younger players Mm. every day. So I learned the difference between being a professional athlete and an elite athlete from guys like Sean, and that trickled down through the club. And I'm sure he learned it from previous captains as well. Yeah. Um, As a captain, though, you, you know, carry extra responsibility. Um, have you always had that uh, that leadership quality about you? I mean, were you always the captain of the side growing up and uh, and a natural leader? Yeah, it's weird. I, I was. Um, yeah, I'm not not really sure why I was, but I got voted in with the junior teams, that Australian team with Bogan. I mentioned I was lucky enough to be the captain on that team. So I'm not sure if it was the position I was in was point guard. Normally, as a point guard, you are a prolific talker on the court, and you know a lot of the plays are run through you. So I think the position I was, um, you know, gave me a lot of leadership qualities that I needed if I wanted to be good at that position. So, yeah, it's nice to be able to get voted in by the players. That means a lot more than just being handed something mm. by the, the by the coaching staff. But the reality is you can only be a good captain if you're surrounded by good people. Mm. And so, you know, I've had Greg Hire and Jesse Wagstaff here at the Wildcats as yep. co-vice captains for a long time. Yep. You know, Bryce Cotton, who doesn't say much, he's the best player in the league. He doesn't say much, but when he does, he's usually spot on the mark and everybody listens. So, you know, when Bryce speaks up, that's going to pull more weight than Trev, myself, any other the other vice captains speaking up. And so you've got guys that are captains like that that just here and there speak up, but they listen to. And then yeah. you've got guys that lead by example. Jesse Wagstaff doesn't say much, but he, he's mm. as disciplined as they get. Tucked mm. in jersey every day. Doesn't ever drop his hands below his waist. Otherwise, he used to have to run in college. Like all these little things that <laughs> you just get ingrained as a player. Because yeah. you can't play defense with your hands below your waist. So if they dropped them below their waist, they had to run. And to this day, as a 34-year-old, he still won't drop his hands below his waist. At huddles, he'll just have hands on his hips and he'll just look around going, Jesse, it's okay, mate. He's like, nope, (laughs) good habits. So, uh, no, you you just learn from each other and then you bring in the next generation of Wildcats Mm. and Nick Kay and Mitch Norton Mm. and they will continue all the little things that hopefully they're picking up on now from the older guys. They'll ingrain it in their and own game. You guys for their weird habits. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> when Nordo doesn't drop his hands, you'll be like, damn, you yeah. wag stuff. <laughs> no, he won't even do it with shoelaces. But no, it's, uh, it's funny how it works. Indeed. Uh, we need to take another break. Damien Martin is our special guest in this uh, edition of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, in this episode, we are speaking to uh, Wildcats champion Damien Martin. Uh, Damien, well known for, for many feats on the court, but one of them is playing through <laughs> some pretty nasty injuries. I can picture you at various points through your career where, you know, your face is is, <laughs> is like a dropped pie at some yeah. point. It's that badly bruised and, and, and bashed, yeah. you know, in supposedly non-contact sport. Mm. Um, can you reel off your your main injuries that you've had? And Yeah, I'll just, if I just do look down my body. All? So I've had uh, toe surgery, so that's the least impressive, but I've had yeah. toe surgery. I've ruptured my left Achilles tendon, torn yeah. my right, so I was in a moon boot for 16 weeks from the right Achilles tendon, uh, complete ACL rupture of my right knee, 
torn left MCL. Uh, I've had four shoulder surgeries, uh, three broken jaws, my fingers. I'm never going to be a hand model if you look at those. <laughs> uh, my nose was never this bent when I was first born. Uh, and then, yeah, plenty of scars to the face, uh, broken arm as well. So, yeah, just a lot of dislocated fingers, all yep. the minor stuff yep. as well. But, yeah, they're the main ones. The Achilles tendon and the right ACL were the mm. two longest serving injuries. But, yeah, basically when I wake up during the season, it all hurts. So yeah, I definitely feel my age head to toe. and everything I've ever bumped or bruised before. I'm like, oh, that's right. I did that in 97 <laughs> and then 2006. But, yeah, yeah plenty of scars. That's quite the... a list of injuries, as <laughs> yeah. I say, for a non-contact sport. Yeah, oh, four broken wrists as well. So uh, I've got to learn to land properly. So three were from <laughs> taking charges and yeah. one was from falling off a horse. So that can't be a bicycle injury. But three from taking charges and landing on my wrists. So yeah. learn to land on your bum. Because I remember the one I'm really thinking of was, I think, a broken jaw. Yeah. You are in playoffs, I think, at the time, where you were approaching playoffs. Uh, and people were saying, surely you can't play. I mean, you were basically wired up, you know, just sort of patched up to get <laughs> yeah. back on the court, yeah? Yeah, so I'd broken my jaw uh, for the second time. And, yeah, they had some wiring in there. But it's funny where the break was. Normally, if you break the side of your jaw, it actually fractures the other side of your jaw as well. Uh, if you fracture right in front, just under your lips, normally it's just a clean break. And that's what I'd done. So even though it looked, my, looked like my teeth were doing gang signs all over the place, uh, the break itself is as good as it can get for a, a broken jaw because there's only the one spot. So they put some screws in there uh, and that was lucky enough to you know be strong enough to hold up. So I think yeah. I missed a fortnight. But the guy that broke it, uh, Brian Conklin, we played on a Thursday up in Townsville. And then just with the scheduling, we actually played them again back in Perth on the Saturday. So I jumped on a plane that night and caught the red eye back to Perth, uh, Brisbane. Brisbane to Perth, had surgery the next day. And then on game day, I had to go in and get some stuff done to my teeth. Yeah. And so some root canals. So I was super numb from all the, the surgeries <laughs> and the root canals. And they wouldn't let me attend the game. I just wanted to sit on the bench. But they said no to that because I was afraid I'd start cheering and I wasn't able to talk. <laughs> And so I said, oh, well, I've got to drop off some tickets then. So I'll go into the locker room before tip off, drop off the tickets. I'll go home, watch the game on my couch. They said, not a problem. So I went in, dropped off my tickets. And as I was walking out of the locker room, still numb, the first person I see walking in is Brian Conklin, the guy that's elbowed me and broken the jaw. And he must have thought it gave me brain damage because there I am dribbling out the side of my <laughs> mouth. I can't feel half of my lip. And he goes, hey, how are you? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks, Brian. Like, and he couldn't understand me. I'm dribble everywhere. There's still blood. And I just kept walking. He must have thought, oh, I've done some damage here. What have but, I done? Uh, yeah, what have I done? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's still in the league with the Illawarra Hawks. And I've got more metal in my mouth than anything else. But at least now I could be a boxer because then I broke yeah. the other side of my jaw. And uh, there's some titanium screws in there as well now. Wow. So you can't get through a metal detector without going off these days? There's a few things that will buzz off, but mm. uh, yeah, I had a glass jaw once upon a time and now it's not, now titanium, so I'm ready for mm. Danny Green. <laughs> Don't tell Danny that. Yeah, he'll, exactly. he'll come for you. Um, not that I want to bring uh, age into the uh, into the discussion here, but uh, but let's do it anyway. Uh, you're turning 35 yep. this year, given your extensive list of, of injuries, and I suppose how fearless you have to be to, to do what you do on a basketball court. How much longer can the body hold up? Look, to be honest, I asked for a, a two-year contract. My, my uh, yeah. current one was just up, so I was off contract about a month ago. Asked for two years. The club came back with one, so I think it's their subtle hint. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, right. The reality is I actually didn't know if I'd be able to play for two. I just thought it'd be nice to have that luxury. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll reevaluate probably during the season and then again yeah. afterwards. So. I'm not naive. I know that the end is near and you can't play sport forever at that level. And I've always said, if I can't play my role and I'm not enjoying it, 
I'll be happy to step aside mm. in saying that if in 12 months' time, they might just kick me out the door and say enough's enough. But I do love the game still, and hopefully I can help the players on the court. Well, I don't think anyone would uh, would, would be critical if you were to, uh, to to pull up stumps now. You know, five <laughs> championships to your name, um, which is more than anyone could just about dream of going into an NBL yeah, career. It, what, but what is it, given, you know, that you... You do have a few uh, a few injuries plaguing you. <laughs> what is it that gets you out, you know, training hard through the off-season and, and, and going on those tough away trips? What is it that gets you out there? Uh, it's funny. This year we addressed a thing called My Why. So when we're in the University of Utah with some pre- pre-season games, we played the Utah Jazz the night before, went and did some workouts at the University of Utah, and then after that we had a team meeting where we had to remind ourselves of why we play the game. So we wrote it down on a piece of paper. We didn't share it out mm. loud, gave the piece of paper to Trev. And then right before finals this year, in front of Perth Arena, we got out these pieces of paper and we just spoke openly and it's quite intimate about why we play the game. And sometimes you forget it's just that. Mm. Uh, you know, you get caught, caught up in all the other things that come with it that you forget that you're lucky enough to get paid to play something you love mm. and why you do it. So, you know, I can go back to those years of the sacrifices mum and dad made and say for my family is a huge reason. Uh, not just to provide now for my wife and two kids, but I love the enjoyment it brings my dad. Now, the, in particular, the sacrifice they made back then, they mm. did it again uh, two years later. So Newcastle, one year, gave up, played rugby league. Then they went back to driving to Newcastle. Mm. So two, four years they did it for. When I'd got cut from the London Olympics, I was devastated. And, you know, I thought I'd let my parents down more than anyone. And so I've spiraled, and, you know, to be honest, you know, hated the game, questioned my love, my passion, my, my ability. But never once did mum and dad make me feel guilty. You know, mm. they were there to support me. But what got me out of that slump from a mental aspect was actually hearing my dad had been diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. And I remember thinking, okay, wow, there's, that's an actual real thing. Yep. Me getting cut from a team is nothing. Yep. So I started enjoying the game again. I remembered mm. my why, the passion of the game. And when I was lucky enough to make the Rio Olympics, I was crying when I got told in front of the coaches, I don't mind mm. admitting the happiest moment to that point in my life. But then I was so excited to call my wife. And then I heard my wife's reaction. I heard her tears. And that was even better than me being told, being able mm. to tell my wife. But then telling my dad, I'd only ever heard him cry once before. And that's when the cancer diagnosis came through. Mm. To be able to tell him I'd made the Olympic team and hearing his tears of joy were a moment I'll never forget. And yeah. that's why I play. That Those yeah. moments, whether it's 14,000 people standing at the end of a win, whether it's the, the relationships, the mateships with your teammates. Mm. Funnily enough, winning championships might be my goal each year, but it's not what keeps me going. It's all the other stuff where people are involved in it. So yep. for me, it takes a whole family, a community mm. to be successful. And mine's my teammates, the Red Army and my family. And uh, each mm. one of them mean as, much, mean as much to me as the other. And yeah, in particular, being able to call dad after a win and yep. say we did it again was amazing. Brilliant. And what, is, uh, what, is, what does life hold for you post-basketball then? Yeah, it's weird. You know, there's a lot of things that through being a wildcat has opened the doors for. Uh, one of them is real estate. So right now I'm training till about midday each day and then I'm going to go try and sell houses. So it is weird, but I have a lot of passions off the court. And it's funny thinking, you know, 10 years ago, I did my first ever radio interview and I didn't know a thing about WA, just moved here. And they said, you know, talking about life at Sydney Spirit versus life at the Perth Wildcats, things were going well. And they said, well, you live in WA now. Who's your favorite footy team? And when I moved here, my cousins are from Free, uh, Rockingham, didn't know a thing about footy. They said, you go for the Dockers. I was like, okay, not a problem. Okay. <laughs> Who should I say are my favorite players? And they said, oh, studs at the time were Aaron Sanderlands and Matthew Pavitt. Just say yeah. one of those. Yeah. So I'm doing this interview and they said, who's your favorite football team? Oh, Fremantle Dockers. Who's your favorite player? Oh, Matthew Sanderlands. Like I messed it up. <laughs> but then, and then a week later, I actually ordered Domino's and I'll never forget the look of dis- disgust and how upset this guy was when I opened the door and he goes, oh, I thought it was going to be Damian Martin, the cricketer. So I've gone from those two experiences 
experiences as just a New South Welshman living in Perth for a week yeah. to 10 years later where it's my home. You know, we're lucky enough to get, like I said, 14,000 people at games, yeah. opportunities off the court. You know, literally getting fired or not being paid for Sydney was the best thing that ever happened to me. I love it out here. I dare say in retirement, I'll stay in Perth and it is home now. And, and that's yeah. just funny looking back at that 10 years that uh, that I've been out here and so, so fortunate that Perth Wildcats mm. gave me an opportunity. Well, I'm sure you'll be just as just as successful at uh, selling properties as you <laughs> will be on the court, although that would be some feat to match. So good luck with it. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. And thank you so much for coming in and uh, sharing your story with us. Thanks, mate. Uh, this has been another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Everyone has a story to tell. Uh, and this one, as always, uh, brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring Story. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.